coin. It's You honor me with your presence. Crispy D. Pokemon so tiny hurt so much. Rat Usually stronger than the average. And has a friendly attitude. It's a back. We will not back down. Game on, everybody. And yeah, it's my voice this time. It's not Chris giving you the Canadian welcome. Hey, happy day and syrups for everyone or whatever you do. I forget what you say. <laughs> it's the throwback. Jake Seeley, Chris Meany, and Brad Ziegler. We're back. We had a week off because we did so much draft coverage for you guys. But yeah, we, we're back and still going on. Uh, I am coming to you, Chris. 90 days free? 90 free days? I don't remember anymore. <laughs> you still don't know. Yeah, it's free 90 days. And, you know, it was in certain ar- athletic articles. Like, if you see them on Twitter, like, you see your article, you know, you click it, you don't you don't have a subscription, usually that's there. You actually have to go in now and just type theathletic.com slash free 90 days. So it's still available. And But you can't get free. it from the articles now. But you can't get it from the articles now, so you just have to type it right into your browser. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, go to my article first and then type it in your browser. <laughs> so, you does go. that work? <laughs> yes. So, work. well, it's still going, and from the sound of things, that should take you into the baseball season and possibly, you know, we're talking training camp at least for football as long as that keeps going. We're going to talk football. We're going like, we're not talking baseball, so don't panic. But with what's happening with baseball, I do want to bring that into the conversation with Chris and Brad, especially with you, Brad, and get some thoughts on how NFL is handling things if we need to worry. But of course, since we've been off for a week plus, we didn't get to do the schedule release. Woo! NFL 2020 yes. release schedule. Brad, your opening day. I know you're just counting. Do you have a clock next to your computer or anything? <laughs> I've got a, I, I started a, uh, like a little, one of those little timer apps on my phone. That counts down to it. So. Did, you, did you really? <laughs> no, I will that's after great. we after we get done oh, here. Though, oh. I will. <laughs> I was curious what the timer was. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's why I was like, shoot, I gotta, I gotta like pretend like I actually did this because I don't know what the timer says. I'll I'll figure it out though. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll do it while we're here. Hold, hold on, I'll even tell you what. Uh, wait, okay, let's see. Opening day is what? I'm doing it right now for you. Opening day is September 3rd, right? Is that opening day? Uh, says, yes. So September 3rd, can I put in a time? Oh, include the time. All right. So 8 p.m. Here we go. We're going to find out right now for you, Brad. I'm going to do All a right. countdown. We have, wait, what's the, no, I did a calculate. What am I doing here? Uh, I don't know. Oh, I did count days instead. So never mind. We're moving on. I don't want to waste any more time. Right. <laughs> I'll figure, I'll, out, I'll fig- I'll figure it out while we're going. <laughs> it's actually September 10th is opening. Oh, is it so. September 10th? We would have been off anyways. Yeah, they oh. well, that's we were destined to fail. It's a hundred. Here you go. Well, we could just do day to day. If we're just doing full days, like let's say it started right now, Brad, you've got 120 days, which is 10,000 or 10 million, 386,000 seconds to go. That's all you have. That's what you that's can it. count down. It's 33% right. of 2020. Perfect. There you go. <laughs> anyway, uh, for you guys, I, I think we've talked about this last year. I tweeted about it. I don't remember what my tweet was exactly. I could go find it, but it was just basically like a PSA for fantasy people. Like, remember, strength of schedule means duty. Like, it means nothing. Like, you can project off this year's teams. You can obviously project off strength of opponent if you want, like, defensive run, you know, your corners they're going to be facing, stuff like that. But even to that level, oh, do either of you guys 
use that when some sites go out there like, you know, my friend of the show, Mike Clay, he has his clay projection. So you can use that and say, all right, well, this team now has the toughest strength of schedule for run defense because of his projections, because you know where my pushback is. And since I'm talking about it, I'll just go first, Chris, is I always push back. Well, yeah, that's fine. Maybe for the first two or three games, but I'm still probably not using it much because we've seen teams like the Saints and the Giants flip flop mid season going from one of the worst to one of the best and one of the best to one of the worst. Yeah, it happens every year. There's always a surprise team. I mean, even a couple of years ago, we liked the Bears' defense. We thought it could take a step forward. They get Mac, and we were excited about them. But we didn't know that they would be a, a top defense in the league. We didn't think that they would take that step forward. So if you do your own projections and you map things out, I understand, you know, going that route and trying to, you know, get the strength of schedule. But I see, you know, articles. I'm not going to call anybody out. But I see things pop up, and it's like, oh, the Eagles have the 25th easiest schedule. Yeah. You know, and they're just taking a look at last year year's records like obviously they play in a crap division but they got the Bengals this year who are going to be a better team they got the Cardinals this year who are going to be a more improved team so I don't take too much stock into it things change even writing for fantasy pros and taking a look at the the fantasy schedule the fantasy playoff schedule from week 14 to 16 this is extremely tough like I can highlight that the Titans have the Jags week 14 and the Lions week 15 and those teams are probably going to be in the bottom 10. At least Jacksonville is unless something we're crazy assuming, happens right? yeah, with 100%. that team. But yeah, we're just assuming. Yeah, I, I think that's completely fair. And, and it's every, you know, so much of the strength of schedule is based on last year's records. And when it, it, when you look at projected win totals for this year or even just using like the over under numbers, it, it changes everything as far as, you know, you, th- there were articles that came out and said the Patriots have the, the toughest strength of schedule. Yeah. Based on last year, but when you look at the projected win totals for this year, it's they're it, it's different. They're let me let me try to find them on here. Uh, they're thirteenth. Yeah, I know. Yeah, they're thirteenth in time. <laughs> yeah, in projected win. Um, you know, for projected win totals of the their opponents. So, um, it, it it looks a lot different when you when you adjust for the landscape of how players have changed, how coaching um, coaching staffs have changed. I mean, the, the Chiefs have the Patriots on their schedule. As a, you know, what's supposed to be a tough opponent and you look at their team right now, that might be potentially the least talented team in all of football at the moment. Um, just, just with, with what you have on the field and that ends up not projecting to be a tough game for Kansas City, even if it, you know, I, I honestly don't know offhand, but even if it's on the road, even if it's in New England, it's, you know, they went in New England and, and beat Brady there, you know, when the Patriots were really good. And now you think the Patriots, they might legitimately be the worst team in football this year. Yeah, it's in KC too. So okay, yeah. Yeah, so, so there you go. I mean, like the Saints have turned out to end up being one of I mean, you can go back last year's projected win totals, just stuff like on that. I mean, Cowboys and for everybody out there, Cowboys and Bears were 8-8. Eight and eight. Neither of them right. were projected 500 teams. The Steelers lost Big Ben, and a lot of things went wrong for them and ended up being an 8-8 eight and eight team. And then you can go back the opposite way. Did anybody expect the Bills to be 10-6? and six And still, you know, we knew about their defense, but was their offense a concern? You can go back the uh, – nobody expected the Panthers to drop to 5-11. and 11. The Chargers were 5-11. and 11. Chargers, Everybody was talking about the Chargers. Chargers was a top three or four drafted defense in fantasy last year. And then yeah. that felt – I mean, there's a perfect – that one right there is a perfect example. So – yeah, it's just it's good little nuggets, and maybe you can break it. But what we're getting at here is you can break ties on draft day, but use it. Definitely wait the beginning of the season more than you wait the end of the season, because I've seen people say that too. Like what you just said, Chris, and I'm not saying you're wrong to say that because a lot of people, oh, look who the Ravens get week 16. Lamar Jackson's going to run for 300 yards against the Giants. Like, well, you know, it's it's still plenty of time. I I still think that's going to happen, like everybody does, but. 
at the same time, you know, d- don't get too hung up on it because there's so many ways to get it wrong. And But if you are going to do it, do what we're talking about. Analyze for this year's win total. Use a site that you like that projects defenses, lines, corners, and stuff like that. Use those pieces of information. Again, focus towards the f- beginning. So, all right, Brad, Is we know opening day. Is there another two or three games on your radar that is just scheduled fun-wise that you're excited to see? It's got to be, like, I'm assuming my birthday, Chiefs at Bucks. I mean, uh, that's got to be way up there. That That's definitely on the list. I mean, it, it's, you know, that's... You that can't say a... the entire Chiefs schedule. <laughs> well, <laughs> I will say this. Chiefs at Saints, um, December 20th. That, that could yeah. potentially be a Super Bowl preview. Um, a lot of people are picking those two teams in the Super Bowl right now after the schedule release. That it'll be a fun that one. That would have been it? my guess for you. What? I would have. I, I said that wouldn't have been my guess of the one that you were going to say. I well, like. I it. mean, I definitely the love Chiefs it. Ravens week I three you, is is that, legit that was too. the one. Yeah, it's That's prime time. Yeah, too, it's right? prime time. It's at Baltimore. Like if the Chiefs go into Baltimore and win that game, you at that point, and I don't know. The, I, I will say this. I think outside of the Saints game, a lot of the Chiefs toughest games appear to be toward the beginning of the schedule and if they happen to come out of those undefeated it, it kind of gives you the feeling at least the talk here is like if they can go four or no or five and oh to start this year there's a decent chance they might make a run at the dolphins and, and the undefeated season because they outside of that Steelers game and maybe the bucks game is is probably viewed as a little late outside of those two games they're into the season schedule looks pretty soft and and so there's a chance that um, that they can run it, but there's, there's other games too that I'm interested in. Um, you know, it, it's, it's kind of weird, but Ravens Patriots, um, it, it's, was November 15th. Um, I believe that's the Sunday night game. Um, it, that'll be an interesting game to me because it's in New England. It should be probably a blowout, but Jared Stedham will have his feet wet by then, assuming he's the quarterback in New England. He will have his feet wet and have a chance to to go out and prove that they can still be competitive. And I think Belichick is going to there, – there's a lot of dates he's going to circle. And and this whole season with the Buccaneers and the Patriots is going to be fun because you know Brady wants to go out and prove he can win without Belichick. And you know Belichick wants to prove he can win without Brady. Even if they you know love and respect each other, they want to prove that it wasn't just because of the other one that they were successful. And, and so it'll, it'll, there'll be a lot of fun games this year because, just because of the, the off the field kind of animosity that you may never get publicly from them, but it's, you know, it's in their heads. Yeah. KC obviously, uh, has a few appealing matchups. Uh, there's a two teams that I'm interested in. Obviously Vegas. I'm excited about just a team being there. I talked to you guys about, you know, going there a couple of years ago and watching the Golden Knights play. And I just, I, I can imagine it's just going to be electric there. So they Ooh, start yeah. their first, their first home game is going to be Monday a night. Primetime game. The yeah. Against the They've Saints. They've got four home primetime games in Vegas. They do. That's just crazy. Yeah. Tampa goes in there. They could be a really there. bad team. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, what, yeah, they, they could be, but they also hung around last year and they were fighting for their playoff lives towards the end of the season and they are an improved team in my Wait, opinion. What's, what's the, what's the fourth one, Chris? Cause it's the Saints to open it and then they get the Bucks and the they Chiefs. They get the Bucks. Oh, I see. So towards, towards the end of the season, they get the Chargers. Yes, and then the Chargers. So, and I'm even going to be excited when the Broncos play them. I think they're another up and coming team as well. I agree. Like the Chiefs could run the table, but there's some, they're going to have some competitive games inside the division. So that's a team that I'm, I'm interested in seeing Vegas. 
Um, That's why they got a fourth one. They got a Thursday night one. That's why. They got a Thursday night, yeah. And then the Bucks, of course, everyone, I mean, why not? They start right away against the Saints and Drew Brees, and they're going to have another one, obviously, against the Saints. That one will be on primetime as well. It would mention the game that they go in and play Vegas. Then later on in the year, Brad already talked about it, they play KC. That's going to be a good game. And then... Um, I think you'll get Green Bay, so you'll get a little bit of Rodgers and Brady in there as well. So that's intriguing. And then, of course, Burrow. I know it's the Bengals, but right off the hop, I think week two, I believe it may be a, a primetime game. I'm not 100% sure on that one, but you maybe Burrow and, and Baker, they can create a little bit of rivalry, a start a rivalry that will be maybe hopefully we'll be able to see it for a few years. See, and that's I'm actually pretty excited to see the Browns at the Ravens to see if it was all Kitchen's mm-hmm. fault. Maybe this year we can get the Browns back and be excited about the Browns. I, like the ones that you didn't say, I, I knew you guys wouldn't say one specifically, but there's one and I'll combine the two of them because they're essentially similar. Uh, the Rams and the Chargers getting to play in there. You know, you've got to open up against yes. the Cowboys and then the Chargers get week two against the Chiefs. So... Back to back opportunity. Well, I think what didn't they do it kind of like the Giants and the Jets? There's always a game there every single week. So I think so, yeah. Yeah, but either way, it's it's the actually the Sunday night game against the Cowboys opens things up for the Rams in the stadium. And then yeah, I, I'm like you, Chris. I just I just really want to see the stadium. For speaking of stadiums for baseball people, Texas Rangers people forgot to have a new stadium this year. I'm kind of interested to see that. It looks really cool for pictures at least. This is the one I'm throwing out for a completely different reason. I'm going all the way to week 17. <laughs> And I'm going to week 17 with the Jets at the Patriots because I really hope this is for the first pick of the draft. I hope the Patriots <laughs> are that bad because I'm really, I'm legitimately curious. I, I know a lot of people are going to be, oh my God, I cannot imagine if the Patriots get Trevor Lawrence or Josh Fields. Behave, like blah, blah, blah. if they're even in the running for one of these yeah. quarterbacks, and then all they got to do is like add a, add a later pick to move up a slot to, to get their guy or whatever. It, it'd be like starting all over again, except for with a first rounder instead of a sixth rounder. See, but, and that's the thing though, is I actually think that, I didn't want to say Miami because I think Miami might be the second best team yes. in that division now. <laughs> I think so too. I, yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that. I well, think speaking England's of that, defense will keep them in games, but yeah. they're, they're not. I'll say whatever game points. Tua finally starts too. I don't know. <laughs> oh, break them out against the Patriots. Nah, they'll be like, oh, we're afraid of Belichick. I was going to say that was the third to last game against the Patriots at home. But it might just be after that bye week. They got a bye week eleven. I don't think they're. I don't actually don't think they're going to start them. I think they're going to pull Patrick Mahomes. Maybe one, two, three games at the end of the season. It makes sense. There's no rush. So speaking of which, just for fun, opening line, Brad, your Chiefs ten point favorites over the Houston Texans. You going to touch that? You're going to be super Homer boy. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not going to be- actually bet host. it, but if I was picking, I actually think the Chiefs will, will cover that. And, and you can say it's a homer, but I look at it more like the, the Texans have, they've dismantled that whole team. And this was a team that came into Kansas City. Not intentional. Well, either. Yeah, they were trying, they, they were trying, they're trying to compete. <laughs> they, but Losers. they, they come, they came into Kansas City and had a 24 to nothing lead in the playoffs and got shellacked. They just got blown out from that point on in the game. And, then they then they trade their best player, or maybe their second best player, if you want to view Watson as their best. Um, but and, and bring in a running back that's that's you know a shell of what he used to be. They don't address the running back position in the draft. They they bring in Brandon Cooks, um, Randall Cobb, these other wide receivers that are almost they feel like I know Cooks is a little bit younger, but they feel like kind of retreads because of injury history or age or whatever it be. It doesn't feel like there's anything there offensively that can compete with this team. They don't have Clowney, you know, 
back when their defense was really good. Clowney's gone now. Uh, Merciless is, is, I believe he's gone too, right? So they're, they're getting, and, and their secondary is different. They don't have a team that I feel like can compete with the Chiefs even, even on paper. And, um, you know, get into a primetime situation the night that the Chiefs raise the banner at the stadium. If, if there's, a crowd. That's the only thing that, that I feel like could neutralize it a little bit if there's no crowd. If there is a, a crowd there and the, the fans are electric, I don't, I mean, I don't even see this being a 20 point game. <laughs> I, I'm going to be the negative Nancy. There's going to be no crowd there. So yeah, and that, that's, just, that's, it's very forget, possible. Very possible. You can just forget about that. The one thing I will say about this matchup is Jake, this may be the, the one time all year where Cooks, Fuller, DJ, and JJ Water just healthy. <laughs> Right. We still, hold on. We still have to get the week one. <laughs> still have to get a couple preseason <laughs> like, games in there. But yeah. let's be honest. Let, I mean, let's, let's, let's get not too excited. If yeah. we're given percentages on on those four guys being on the team at one point and healthy, it's probably week one. Dude, it, you know what? Speaking of real quick, so I, I do want to talk about that, and we're going to talk about the mock draft here. Actually, I'll pin it because we're going to do it in order. We're going to stick with it. Just remember that I'm going to bring something up about Will Fuller. But uh, real quick, the strangest odds, Chris, I know that you have your odds show. Uh, what is it? Best on the uh, something I'm the excited board. already. Thank I didn't you. know we were going to do week one here. Brain fart. Uh, is there anything that stands out to you from week one where you're already like, wow, I'm I'm hitting this? Because like, the one I noticed the most, at least, well, not I say no, gr- grab my eye. Is the Cowboys favored in Los Angeles facing the Rams to start this? That's, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, just in a neutral site, I think I still like the Rams, and despite everything they did with CD Lamb, it's just it's still the Rams versus the Cowboys. Are we going that far with what happened with the Rams last year that they're now opening dogs? Yeah, that's that's a strange one. Dallas seems to always get respect from from Vegas. I think it's just because they have such a strong fan base that they know people are going to back them no matter what. Um, so they just got to make them favorites. But I, I think that that's a coin flip game. I mean, yeah, it's it's yeah, yeah it's not in Dallas, but the so Rams are still going to be competitive. Was, one that stands out to me, Jake, is you already brought them up, is the Dolphins, how you think that they could be the second best team in the division. Why are we – and the line has already moved, to be honest with you. It, I think it opened it up at six, at six, and now it's, it's six, and, six, six and a half. half. For New England, I – And now it's 5.4 – 5.5, 5 and a half. I think we said on this show – a couple weeks ago when we were talking about the Dolphins and what they had done through the draft and how impressed we were and what they had spent all the money throughout offseason, bolstering up the offensive line as well, is that this team down the stretch, the last nine games of the season, they had a better record than the New England Patriots with Tom Brady on that squad. So I agree with you. I think Miami could easily be the second-best team in the division, and I would not lay six and a half. I don't feel comfortable with New England winning week one with Stidham in under center to win by a touchdown. I just don't see it. <laughs> No, I'm completely with you on that. So that's where let's talk about the schedule thing. So this is where we're going to kind of loop in baseball here a little bit. If anybody's following or paying attention, just for sports in general, baseball's going to the Players Association with a proposal where they want to do a 50-50 revenue split. Seems to this is all the reports, you know. Of course, there might be other things involved. Brad might even know a little bit here, but it's supposedly 50-50. Supposedly 82 game season. Supposedly we kick things off in July. But, Brad, the big thing that initially was said, so for everybody that doesn't know as well, is players already agreed they lose every game check where games aren't played. So if it's an 82-game season, they lost 80, well, no, AD, 80 games of paychecks. Well, MLB teams are pushing back with more now because of the empty stadiums. And I'm not trying to make a case. I'm just trying to give everybody the information out there. I already tweeted this, and I'm sure you know this, Brad, but I was an intern for the Norfolk Tides. Norfolk Tides are a triple-A affiliate of the Orioles at the time they were the Mets. 
to close down a game for a rainout, just one day's worth of a game being canceled, the organization lost a million dollars. And that's a triple A team. So just again, I'm not trying to make an argument for the owners or the teams, but I don't think Brad, and this is why I want to get your perspective because you're the player, you've been in it, you're in the, the negotiations for a lot of things, is I don't think people, fans, realize how much organizations lose money-wise to have a stadium run, an empty stadium, no ticket sales, no beer, food, merchandise, that there's a hell of a lot of money that they're losing that everybody's just like, oh, get over it. You're billionaires. At the same time, you get people who are like oh, players, get over it. You're going to get no money if you don't play, so you might as well get what you can. What are you sitting back thinking of all this? Because this is going to start to affect football Right now, the NFL is getting ahead of the game. They're increasing the debt allocation, all this type of stuff. But if this goes for football, too, do you think this is going to be a real sticking point in all sports where we start playing with no fans? Um, no. I Eventually, I don't think so because I think the owners have way more to lose here than the players if there's no season. Because they fought so hard after the after the strike in 94 – they fought so hard to get the game back and, and, and trying to get it back to being a moneymaker, get fans back in the stands, get, you know, TV revenue up. They don't want to have to, to, to run that fight again. And from the player's perspective, yeah, you've got a, a limited window of a career. Um, and, and, and I'm not saying that there aren't challenges from the player's perspective, but the players have a whole lot of money, a whole lot of money set aside in reserve. If, if, if people would think like, oh, how are some of these players going to pay their bills? Trust me, their bills are going to be paid. There, There is a whole lot of money set aside in case. And the reason is because we were approaching a bargaining year. And every time there's a bargaining year, they set up a, a fund that the players have a, a, an obscene amount of money to be able to pay their their um any, any, you know, help any players out that, that might potentially need it, but also to pay the benefits plan and make sure that they have, um, health insurance, um, that the pension's getting funded for the retired players, et cetera. All that is, is, is set aside out of the licensing money every single time we're approaching a bargaining year. The players are going to be fine from that perspective. The owners have a whole lot more, um, at, at stake so here. Let me ask you a and question. If I'm, Sure. Cause, cause it sounds, and I don't want to put with this why I'm asking. It sounds like that you're kind of reasoning for that the players should be a little bit more giving than what the initial reports are because the. No, I, I, I actually feel the other way. I actually okay. feel the other way. Okay. I, I think, I think the players should, if they're playing 82 games, what the players do is not, it, like, if the games are being televised, there's nothing in the contract from the players that says they have to to do stuff for the fans that are in the game. Their contract is to get on the field and play. They and and we are contractually contractually obligated to do interviews for TV. That wouldn't change. Nothing is going to change from the players' perspective of what they signed up for. It's the owners that are and the ownership team and the marketing team that are the ones that have to typically try to do things to get fans into the stadium. That's their thing. And it still is their thing. And they have to just weigh at that point is is the risk of not having uh, uh you know fans in the stadiums worth still getting the TV revenue or are we better off not playing at all and from the player's perspective if you got to go out and play 82 games I want half my salary at that point because it, it doesn't ha- half the salary that I initially signed up for because nothing that I I have to do changes from that perspective yeah it's interesting and it's especially to get your point of view Brad you know I've seen a lot of players recently talk about this proposal and I 
I know Ken Rosenthal, you know, obviously from The Athletic, has numerous pieces over the past couple of days. I think his latest is just how they're drawing up like an 80-page document just on player safety because his latest proposal seemed like player safety was at the bottom of the list of things. And I believe – that That's standard, yeah. by the way. That's very but standard. But I believe Tony Clark – and I'm I'm not quoting him, but I know he's on the – he's I think he's the executive director of MLBPA, and I believe he his – Almost his exact quote was just that the league was trying to take advantage of a global health crisis to get what they've failed to achieve in the past. And I see Sean Doolittle recently just tweet a, a long thread about player safety. Like until you bring us, you know, some guidelines on how you're going to be able to protect us, don't even bother to talk to us about, you know, money and 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 all this. I don't know how. how is that correct? Yeah, a hundred percent. Because it, and that's we fight this. In every collective bargaining agreement, their first proposal, every time we start bargaining, always has a salary cap in it. And in some years, like like what happened in 94, they pushed that salary cap, tried to ram it down their throat. In the past, the past couple of bargaining sessions that I've been in, pretty shortly after the, the bargaining started, they back off of it and they go back to the luxury tax model. Um, it At that point, though, it doesn't – like the players – have a hard line against that. And it's not, it doesn't matter if it's just for one season. If there's, there's some rumors out there and I don't think this was initially part of the proposal they brought to the players, but I, I'm, I wasn't privy to it. So I don't know uh, for certain. I saw some proposals where they said like they're wanting to do a 50, 50 split of revenue for the year. And that is something the players will absolutely not play under that, under that circumstance because that is a one year salary cap and it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if it's just for one year. It doesn't matter if it is a, a crisis type situation. The players will never ever accept anything along those lines. They would only do it if it's a prorated amount based on their schedule, based on the number of games played. And so that to me is a deal breaker. But then you look at the fact that like, what happens if a player tests positive? What happens if, you know, a, a TV camera operator tests positive that was in the locker room filming interviews for for a reporter. There's all kinds of different scenarios that the players are taking an inherent risk doing this and there there needs to be some sort of protection for them, let alone the fact that you don't get as much time to prepare because you have a shortened spring training. You're you are still going to be playing a pretty intense schedule. Um, you know, See, but I think you do I, have you do have mitigations in travel that you know it looks like they would basically stay in their region, um, and that would that would yeah, definitely help from the players' separate, perspective. Separate on that, and I, I understand what you're saying, and I guess if I was quote unquote taking a side, I'm not really because I like as soon as I say it, everybody's going to jump down my throat. I, I lean <laughs> because I, I lean what you say. I know it's, it's just true. I lean a little bit. Look, I think 50-50 is a little much. I think that maybe – I said this yes last night. I did a spot because, again, this is going to affect the NFL, and this is why we're talking about it, is because the NFL could start the season with no fans. The NFL is already talking about the salary cap might drop as much as $30, $40 million next year per team, which I don't know how that would even work for all these – I mean, you would – you would have to make so many cuts and re-signings. I don't know how that would work. But all that being said is this is why we have to start thinking about it for the NFL because if the NFL starts to think about doing the same thing baseball is doing and talking about revenue splits and stuff like that, I don't think 50-50 makes sense with you, Brad, but I do think there might need to be a little bit of concession on a per-game basis because there are no fans. Again, I could only because I'm going back to it's a million dollars loss for a triple-A team. The major league teams are probably losing millions, plural, per game of not having – anybody there because you still have to pay 
the staff working the stadium, the field crew, all that type of stuff. So there's still money being spent. They're still paying on the players, still running uh, the electricity alone. And that's why it's a million dollars. You're running a company with nobody there to influx you or influx you. Is that the way to say it? (laughs) Put money in your pockets. Yeah. Yeah. So I I completely agree. But I, I do think. Put it this way, like it sounded like the and what you're saying is like the players like nope, not happening, don't care, whatever. I think maybe it should be like okay, we're not doing that, but let's do this. Like if it was seventy five twenty five, something like that. I just that okay. So, but what what you're saying though is a non starter for the baseball. It's different if you go into it and say, you know what, going into the season. We are the play, we as players are willing to take a twenty percent pay cut because we know fans won't be there. There you for go. This, well, that's for eighty two games. That's, well, that's, what that's I, way that's... different than saying at the end of the season we need these numbers to line up where you get fifty percent of the take or seventy five percent of the take right. because that that's a that's a post that everything changes at that point because there are going to be if Major League Baseball starts it doesn't matter if there are fans in the stadium there will be record TV ratings for for random games on Wednesday nights Thursday nights because there's nothing else to watch right uh, I'm now still not watching the, the teams <laughs> and, and maybe not but the teams Social will distancing. will make so much more money on the TV side of things because a lot of their they they sign these deals well, where there's certain you know guaranteed billions of dollars, but then there there is also structure added in where if advertising dollars reach a certain amount, the teams get a kickback of that also. Right, and that would happen for, in this scenario. I was going to say that for that, Brad is like for that like the for the teams like baseball on that side should maybe figure out a revenue sharing for this year, like because you know. You know, the Pittsburgh is, they don't have, they don't have SNY or the Yes Network. Pittsburgh has the local Fox, the Fox of Pittsburgh to watch their games. So the infl- you know, that money is nowhere near the same as it is for other teams. So maybe there's a pooling there, but I agree with you. Like it should be like a, Hey, it's a 20% cut for the rest of the games until fans are back and then you're back to normal. I, I agree with you. It shouldn't be after the fact. So setting all this up to say, these are the things to maybe watch for the NFL season. Because they've been great so far. They had the draft. They had free agency. Everything's rolling along like normal so far. Schedule release. But just in case, uh, just keep an eye on it. But let's talk, let's get back into some more fantasy stuff real quick. Uh, and something that's been tweeted a lot over the past two days just kind of came out of blue. You notice how these snowball real quick. Oh, I've got Chris, you'll like this because I heard you laugh when I said the Tampa thing. Real quick to go back to it on the site. I ha- Nando wanted me to do the big, the biggest things I'm going to miss about or I have missed and want to see in baseball. Yeah. So I did 82 for 82 games coming back and it had at least one for every team. So I actually put not being able to tell the difference in race home game attendance. <laughs> I've seen those jokes lately, yeah, with the social distancing and this is what it, this is what it could look like. Oh, so Rays games or or Miami games. So, yeah. yeah, I said the same thing. I said, can you imagine how like the your eyes are going to bleed from all that green in Miami with nobody, like no fans? Good. At least they moved that stupid monstrosity to the outside now, yes. so that's no longer there. Yeah, absolutely. Jake, just going to cut in here before we get to some news and notes. I know we're going to talk about the Giants uh, and the Colts as well as a few rookies that you draft in your latest mock draft. Actually, a lot of rookies that you draft in your latest mock draft. But I want to give a shout out to today's sponsor of the throwback, Hydrant. Top performers in business and sports often attribute their success to their morning routine, whether it's waking up early, setting their goals for the day, exercise or meditation. But not everyone has the time to do it all. With Hydrant, you can jumpstart 
your mornings. Did you know that 75% of us are walking around everyday life chronically dehydrated? We are suffering needlessly from frequent headaches, energy slumps, and poor focus. It doesn't have to be this way, especially through some very, very tough times. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You can save even more with a monthly subscription. For 25% off your very first order, go to drinkhydrate.com slash football. That's drinkhydrate.com slash football for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrate.com slash football. Jake, take it away. The Giants have been tweeted about a lot the past two days because the what started this was Joe Judge said that he's been talking with Garrett and talking about running a very similar offense to what Garrett had with the Cowboys. Well, the reason people are tweeting about this, Chris, and the reason people are, you can almost say, getting pensive about the outlook is because outside of Saquon Barkley, that's not a good thing. Uh, for if you go to Jason Garrett, Saquon Barkley might touch the ball 400 times now, but the pace of play for the Giants was actually top 10 in neutral games, which is within seven points either direction. Uh, they were The Garrett years were all 21 or worse. So people are starting to worry about the passing game. They're making jokes. Well, at least you know Barkley and Ingram are safe. Uh, that's the only two that matter. When you hear that and then he wants to be relying on Garrett to run this offense, does this make you get worried about Daniel Jones, Darius Slate, and Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard, and the passing offense? Yeah, maybe a little bit, just because it's Garrett. I mean, I think I may have thought this already the second that he that he went over there. <laughs> Is this why everyone's drafting Saquon Barkley first overall? Because he's going to touch the ball <laughs> Stop. 400 times? <laughs> <laughs> Anybody who drafts, no, somebody not named Christian McCaffrey number one is only trying to make people talk about him. We're not talking about those people. Uh, just kidding. Um, you know, overall, not really. I still think that this is going to be a pretty bad football team defensively. So, yeah, they could play slow all they want. They can have the offense run through Barkley and, and Ingram. But they're let's be honest, they're going to have to catch up and, and, and throw the football, at least in second halves of games. And, and they got some weapons. I think it's I think it's an underrated offense. I think a lot of people already, you know, I'm seeing projections on, on offenses out there and points per game. And the Giants I'm seeing as a bottom five offense. I think if everybody is fully healthy, you know, they could be at least middle of the pack. <laughs> Middle of the pack offense. <laughs> no, I, I, I 100% agree. I think they could be better than middle of the pack. You're talking about Barkley, those three wide receivers. Daniel Jones is a poor man's Jameis Winston. You know, I call him that all the time. Yeah, if Ingram is healthy, was good I mean, last that's, year, yeah. but there is, the reason I was laughing is because now you sound like Mets fans. Everything's fine. If everybody can stay healthy this year, they're going to be a contender. Every Maybe it's year. just a New York <laughs> thing, I think. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think, Brad? Are you concerned? Uh, no. <laughs> um, I, I'm really not. The the bigger concern for me is them not having a true alpha wide receiver, whereas the Cowboys had Slayton. had that in Amari Cooper. So um, there's I I don't think Slayton is a true alpha. I think Slayton is probably the best they have, um, but I don't I don't look at him as a guy that like oh another team has to has to have a cornerback their best cornerback shadow him everywhere he goes because right. he he's just dominant on the field. So. Um, I, I like Slayton. I like Sterling Shepard. I like Golden Tate. It's and I like Evan Ingram. It's not that I don't like the guys. I just think they're. It's like a whole bunch of number twos 
you know, Ingram's the number one tight end, but it's a whole bunch of number twos at wide receiver. And that to me is the difference with, with the Cowboys is they had, they went and got their true alpha to make sure that, that they had a guy that occupied everybody so that then Michael Gallup became more effective. Randall Cobb became more effective in the slot. There, there are, there's an opportunity there, um, for these guys to be effective. But I, again, I, I think it all goes back to Barkley. I don't, I won't take Barkley number one overall, but I've got him in a couple dynasty leagues and I, ha- I am ecstatic about this year. So with that, speaking of where you have them in dynasties and stuff, or I want to ask you this one. This is another one that popped up. So, Brad, I'll stick with you real quick. We already covered the draft ad nauseum. If you missed those, dude, hey, you have three podcasts you can go listen to for some fun. And they're like an hour each because there was just so much to talk about. But the Taylor Mac situation. Now, you know, we've talked about Jonathan Taylor and we've talked about what this did for Mac and we have opinions on this show, but I just want to come back to it because, Brad, the recent quote this week, uh, perfect timing because we've been off, so we can talk about it now, is that Jonathan and Taylor, Jonathan Taylor and Marlon Mack are going to be, quote, a 1-1 punch, which basically says a lot of things without saying them, Brad. I mean, it essentially says this is going to be a split backfield. It's going to be a timeshare. It sucks for fantasy. But not only a timeshare is what the hell about Naheem Hines? Like, is, is his being the potential poor man's Austin Eckler out of the equation? Like, do you make anything of this or are you just saying, Hey, it's, you know, it's April, it's coach speak. Well, now May. Um, I, I do, I make a little bit about it because everybody, there was a lot of assumption after they traded up to get Taylor in the second round that he was going to overtake Mac this year. And, I mean, people forget, like, I'm not saying Mac is the most gifted running back out there, but he's been pretty effective the last couple of years in Indy. I don't think they're just going to make him disappear. It's not like he's 28 and, and slowing down. Um, you know, he's, he's what, probably 24, 25 and, and still basically right into his prime. I think, I think, I don't think he's going to disappear. Um, I do think that, I think it was their OC that came out. It might have even been in the same, the same, quote or or the day before and said Naheem Hines is going to take off or lift off or, or something to that effect with Philip Rivers at quarterback so some of it is we we have a, a a coach that's probably not wanting to give away anything but some of it too is he, he's got to keep these guys happy um there you don't want discourse you know in a locker room they bring in Philip Rivers because they want to try to win right now they see an opportunity in their division with the Texans getting worse to and and the Jaguars trading everybody off they have a chance to win this division right now. And, and so they have this, uh, talented running backs. They went and got a, a good wide receiver to put opposite T.Y. Hilton. Hopefully Hilton stays healthy. Jordan Wilkins is done. Like, I, I think, I think we can say he's basically done at this point. But yeah, if you, if you're, it, it could be a similar situation to maybe what the Chiefs did last year with, um, LaShawn McCoy and Damian Williams early in the year where it was almost like drive to drive, even sometimes game to game. And you never really know going into it how they're going to be used. And at the end of the day, it's like you look back and be like, yeah, that made sense. Um, and, and this guy got all the touches, but there was still a third down back in there. Daryl Williams was still in there or, or whoever the third down back was. I think the third down back, neither one of these guys, Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor, neither one of them are a super strong pass catcher. They can do it, but it's not their forte. So I think Hines still has, still has an opportunity to get in there, um, in red zone or not red zone, but uh, two minute situations, um, and, and on third downs. And I think the other guys, they're just going to do what they can to try to keep them healthy all year, balance, balance them, play the hot hand a little bit, but also not forget about the other guy. Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense what Brad's saying. I don't think that Max is going to go anywhere. As, as much as we all want it to be Taylor's backfield, it may take some time, honestly. Um, 
You know, and Hines has actually been okay over the past couple of years, to Brad's point. I mean, just under a 1,000 yards in 2018, only played 12 games, 4.7 yards per clip. He had over a 1,000 yards last year, missed two games, 4.4 yards per clip, 18 touchdowns over the last two years. The offensive line is great. Yeah, maybe it's just – maybe it is a little bit of a one-two punch, especially for the first few weeks. We talk so much about Doug Peterson and how he runs his offense in Philadelphia with all the backs, but Frank Reich was running the show when they won the Super Bowl and they were using all the backs, J.H.I., Corey Clement, LeGarrette Blunt. They were just rotating through a lot of these guys, and it's a luxury to have. I mean, yeah, Taylor has the higher ceiling. He's the guy that I want in drafts, but Mac could potentially be frustrating. I think it is bad news, Jake, for Naheem Hines. I think we just all expect him to be that third down back, not to to the extent where he's going to catch 90 balls like Eckler or 80-plus like Danny Woodhead did a couple years ago, but maybe Mac is, is that guy who you know, catches those balls, maybe maybe 30-plus. I don't think it would be a stretch. I mean, 14 last year, 21 as a rookie. I think it's possible. So uh, to that point now where I'm going to agree and disagree is that I do think it's going to be potentially like, you know, like you said, Frank Reich, Dale Peterson, same kind of organizational run here. I, although there wasn't a ton of that kind of use with Mac before that. Uh, there was sprinkling in, but that's also, you know, I don't think Wilkins was ever a significant talent to be worried about. Uh, the Hines was always kind of sprinkled in, but he's had trouble staying on the field consistently and being used consistently. And then, of course, Jacoby Brissett, which, by the way, I ran this stat yesterday. and But as a sidebar to it, it was the biggest drop-off in completion percentage for quarterbacks with a clean pocket versus under pressure. The worst quarterback in the NFL was Tom Brady. It was like almost 35% in this completion percentage drop. Yeah. So... But again, like if you already su- like somebody was like Trubisky, I'm like no, because if you already suck, your completion percentage isn't going to drop as much as everybody else's because you already suck. Like, so I'm saying that Jacoby Brissett was actually one of the worst, like Trubisky, but his gap wasn't as big because he just kind of sucked last year. So with Philip Rivers there, but I'm going to lean a little bit differently because I where I disagree with Brad and with you, maybe I don't know, you weren't you didn't say the same thing Brad did, but I don't I've never thought Marlon Mack was anything special. Like I'm not trying to hate on the guy. What I said about him coming out of college is that he always tries to do too much and he should just take the fact that he's kind of like Mark Ingram. Just like look, you're you're a good volume guy, you're going to be better than the average. You're I'm not saying he's not good. But you're not on the elite tier. You're not, you know, a Joe Mixon, a Dalvin Cook. Like, you're not even in that grouping. So chill out. And part of the problem is the fact that, you know, I said in college, sometimes he would dance so much he would get a two-yard loss instead of just taking a zero-yard gain, which is better. Like, you're not always going to stack up yards. So I – and I'm setting all this up to ask you guys this question. In the third round of the mock that I just recently did for a magazine that's coming out is I took Jonathan Taylor with the second-to-last pick in the third round. One – I still think that's great value, but two, and where maybe you guys will disagree, immediately after him, the very next pick, that was with Chris Carson on the board. Chris, that's your boy. Yeah, you know, I understand taking the upside in Taylor, and it is there with Carson. Like, I don't think Carson can get any better than what we've seen over the past couple of years. Like, I don't see room to grow. There's probably one last year. Yeah, so, there, yeah. yeah, I mean, he's fine. Obviously, you know that. I like him. He's the red zone back. I mean, they bring in DJ Dallas. He's not going to take away what he does. He's going to be a third. He's going to take away from Penny and catch balls out of the backfield. I still think the goal line back there is Carson. They're going to run the football. They want to run the football in Seattle. But there are a lot of... I don't think a lot, but there are some, there's different variables there. Like he could start fumbling again. He's had some injury concerns. So I understand taking, it's, it's a matter of taking the upside and the sexy Taylor pick under that line. We know like this, the ceiling is so appealing as opposed to maybe just taking the safer pick. You're in person. Poet and you don't know it. 
Yeah, I I would probably <laughs> take Taylor there. I think I agree with you. You would? Yeah. That's your wow. Is, would you do the same, Brad? I mean, he just took him over his boy. Chris, Chris loves him. Chris Carson. <laughs> I do love Chris Carson. Yeah, I. I mean, I probably would just because I. The upside with Taylor is is higher than what Carson brings. I think Carson has a safer floor, assuming he's healthy going into the year, which Agreed. all reports yeah. indicate that he's going to be. I mean, he's that's a twelve hundred yard guy, almost guaranteed. But we know Taylor athletically is is a better athlete than Carson. He's a better running back than Carson. I don't know about the system. Like the 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 Seahawks system has been geared toward Carson this year. You kind of hope that eventually they kind of take the reins off a of, off a of Russell Wilson a little bit and let him throw six hundred times. And if that happens, then Carson, you know, Carson's still going to have a good floor, but there's just no upside attached to it. Um, I would probably take Taylor there, but I I think it's close for twenty twenty. All right, so let me ask you this question, Brad, because you're a dynasty guy like I am, and you in seven thousand leagues so far already. There's something like that, and you, you never had the top four. Picks, uh, not, dynasty, not dynasty, not <laughs> dynasty. Six, six, six dynasty All right. leagues. So this redraft that I did, uh, basically, I tweeted, I texted in the chat room at the time a callback to the video game. I think like all your base belonged to us, or whatever belonged to me. I forget what the exact thing was, but I said all the rooks belong to me. Uh, because I started with Clyde Edwards Hilaire at the 11th pick, and we just talked about Taylor. Swift was still there at the end of the fifth round, and then you drop a little bit. Oh. I got Rugs in the ninth. I got Justin Jefferson in the tenth. I got Josh Kelly in the twelfth. So AJ Dillon in the fifteenth, like. I, I get that people love Aaron Jones, but that's one of the best handcuffs, in my opinion, that he fell that far. And so here's my question to you, Brad. Is is that too many rookies? Like, when is that enough? Because on the wide receiver side, Adams, Allen Robinson, T.Y. Hilton, Justin Jefferson, and the, well, I mentioned Anthony Miller. I have Tyler Higby. So I do have proven veterans. But is that at some point, even as a dynasty fan, are you like, hey, that's a little bit too many rookies. Like, chill out. Um, Not necessarily, because this is a, I mean, this is a class that, a lot of people have talked about for several years, this was going to be an elite class. They didn't disappoint. The only disappointing thing was that ETN, Najee Harris, and Kylan Hill didn't come out. Um, and that Tylen Wallace for got now, hurt last year. Other than that, we, we might have uh, the other, most interesting supplemental draft of all time, everybody, because California is talking to me about canceling on schools to only be online, which would mean no college football, yeah. which means if that goes <laughs> United States wide, we might have a hell of a fun supplemental draft. But anyway, go ahead, Brad. Yeah, so it, it, I mean, getting DeAndre Swift in the fifth round is crazy, but but other than Thank that, you. I I I don't think I don't think anything. Um, Could you imagine? Real, hold on, real quick, Brad. Could you imagine if we had the supplemental draft and then because the Dolphins didn't take a running back and then they still they just go at at the end of the draft? Oh, like man. that's that's what I was. I've I've said that before. Like they they could use a second round pick. It could be ETN. It could be um, Najee Harris. It could be Chuba Hubbard. Like whoever wants to come out that could have come out this year. If that happens, all those guys are are instantly thrust into you know any rookie draft that hasn't um, that hadn't happened at that point. They become top eight picks instantly, and maybe even top five picks um, depending on on landing spot and who the player is. But if Chuba Hubbard gets taken by the or or ETN gets taken by the Dolphins, I, I rank him ahead of Acres. I'd probably potentially rank him ahead of of Swift. And yes. at least, at least in a, a, a rookie draft. So I would say at that point, you're, you're talking maybe a, a 103, 104 player. Yeah, that completely changes everything because now all of a sudden 
the Dolphins, because the Dolphins, I know for a fact, I talked to a reporter who had inside information with the Dolphins. They were wanting to get one of the running backs in the second round, and they all went before they thought they would. They did not think the Ravens were going to take Dobbins. They thought there was a chance that Swift would get to him also. And then they kind of kind of got left without anybody at that point. They didn't want to overdraft Keyshawn Vaughn. Um, so then they, you know, they made the late trade for Matt Breida, basically just to, to give them somebody else to put with, with, uh, help me. Um, Bears, Jordan Howard. They okay. give me somebody else How to pair with Jordan Howard. But, boy. I know, I know, I know, I know. But then, but then, if if this does happen, and they say, you know what, like, yeah, we'll we'll give up one of our second round picks next year. The Dolphins instantly become the favorite in this division, in my opinion. I would take them over the Bills at that point if they had a legit running back, and because I I I think they've done everything right, and I think Ryan Fitzpatrick can be good enough with the rest of the team around him. They just don't have a running game that scares me. Um, they, it, it's, and people say that with running backs, that can happen with wide receivers too. There are legit wide receivers in this class, um, coming up that if they, if they, if Tylen Wallace jumps into the league and he's going to be healthy, Tylen Wallace is, was a first round pick in this, in this year's NFL draft if he didn't tear his ACL and, right, and go back right, to school. Yeah, we're, we're not breaking down so, the entire <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying, like, there's, the there's, Dolphins, there is potential huge impact compared to, to a, a normal supplemental draft where you're you're reaching for guys like a Tyrell Pryor or right. who you know whoever might I just be, want to get I just want to get Chris's opinion there. on the rookies before I don't want to forget what the original question was. I'm just all excited <laughs> about the Dolphins and the direction they're going here, addressing the offensive line, Tua, ETN, like let's go. Um yeah, I mean I, I think I think your original question, you know, too many rookies. I, I don't like to I mean, obviously, I don't think that you had this strategy going, and these guys just fell to you. Like, DeAndre Swift is absolutely not on my radar, but at the end of the fifth, I mean, come on. I think that the upside is certainly there. I would like to see you maybe get some safety at the running back position after, you know, you drafted three rookies right away and you backed up with Geis, but I get I get it. I understand. Geis in the seventh. We chatted about <laughs> it. Yeah, Geis in the seventh, I suppose. You know, maybe you get, He's not dead! <laughs> maybe you get 70 carries out of him this year. You never know. Um Oh, come on. <laughs> hey, um, Leonard Fournette started off the same way. Yeah. Well, Actually, he's missed more time. Who's taking yeah. the carries away? It, like, what? The only There's way like Geis seven is backs in, there. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, yeah, but they're, they're not going to. No. Not when the season starts. And if right. Geis is healthy, he's the best of all of yeah, them. There's we, not a question and about rewind that. Rewind the tape. We said the exact same thing last year. Yeah, and you bring him along slowly in the seventh. So uh, I, ideally, I'll let somebody else draft Geis in the fifth or the sixth and wait like a Miles Sanders and go take him in a trade. But at the seventh, I'll, I'll just wait on him at that point. I'll I'll put him on my own roster. How about Philip Lindsay in the ninth? I mean, that's, that's, a, well, that's so, a way that I would rather go. In the night, well, I could see that two rounds later. Are people just writing him off way too much for the arrival of Belvin Gordon? Yes, like because 100%. this is not the first time I've seen him go at least eighth or later. Yeah, I've, I haven't really given him the respect over the past couple of years, but what's he done? He's one of nine backs for the last two years to have at least two thousand rushing yards. He's a without looking. Do you know where he finished year? last year? Um, no, I sixteen ish. Brad, uh, twelve. I have no, no idea. You way overshot. Nineteen. 19? Okay. I mean, even 19. that, still. I mean, we're, we're, but, we're, we are giving Gordon too much respect here, to be honest. Right. So, like, even if he loses 10, 15%, now he's still a fringy RB2, that being Philip Lindsay. Like, put it this way. Would you – I'll throw this right out, especially because he doesn't have Tom Brady. But still, still to this point, Chris, James White or Philip Lindsay? I'm taking Lindsay. Like, yeah, I'm taking He's Lindsay. getting rushes as well. Like, it's not just yeah, – I'm with you. That, that one baffled – 
before the, we get to the last thing, was there anything else that you look? Because I sent you guys both the draft. Was there any other picture? Yeah. Oh no, go ahead, go ahead. I was, while you were talking about Lindsay, I wanted to mention I just did I just did a, a best ball draft for um, John Hansen on a live stream, and I got Philip Lindsay in the eleventh round of a twenty twenty best ball. That's crazy. And I was just yeah. like stunned. Like guys who went in front of him: Tony Pollard, Duke Johnson, Tony Darrell Henderson, Pollard. Latavius Murray. Like I've got a thousand yard back that <laughs> potential. Like we don't know what Melvin Gordon's going to be this year. Right. They know we know they trust Philip Lindsay, and they just didn't want to to give him 250 carries again. But it, there's no question he, there's talent there. I just was shocked that he was still around in the 11th round. Melvin Gordon may be one of the most overrated backs in football. I think, to be honest with you, ever. <laughs> yeah, so I actually I think he's coming at a value now this year though. You're getting Gordon. late third. Yeah, he's I, be the I agree. Lead. With, I agree with that. There is definitely some value with him, but he's he out of all the backs. Like I look at all of them in the top three rounds. There, he's the one that it could just completely go sour for him. Uh, it could. Is a, it is could a, certainly go. Great value. Yeah. Um, and and then, then just to let you know, thirteen of the first fourteen picks in this draft were running backs. Michael Thomas was the only one that was not until. And and actually, Lamar Jackson went with the third pick. The second the second receiver off the board was the fifth pick of the second round. It was Devontae Adams, and so it, it took it was a very heavy running back at the that, top. That was um, pretty and, much and, very and similar fact, to, to ours. We had ten of the well, ten of the yeah, ten of the first eleven picks with running backs. Michael Thomas was the only one that went. Yeah, and the fact that in a draft like that, when that's everybody's mindset, that Lindsey's still around in the eleventh was just mind blowing. Yeah, so it's like we've been pushing it. You know, definitely go get your running backs this year. There's no question about it. It'll, because when I took Justin Jefferson, who's the number two for the Vikings, and, and now Stefanski's gone, so hopefully that passing game bounces back. That was the 10th round. Like Judy Lamb, Mike Williams, Justin Jefferson, Jalen Rager, Preston Williams, who, by the way, was the best wide receiver before Devontae Parker, before he got hurt. Deontay Johnson. These are all 10th round wide receivers. 10th round. Robbie Anderson, Nikhil Harry, Curtis Samuel are in the 12th. So go get your running backs. It's just, it's insane. But to your point, Brad, you could still find, even if you don't go too crazy, you can still find good running back values down the list. So, uh, and I'll save Antonio Gibson for the next show just because there's been a lot of talk about how they're going to use him. And the Christian McCaffrey type role, and that all you know exactly. made people go crazy. Of course, <laughs> so Gore signs Hyde hasn't yet, but the rumor because I sent it to Chris so he could laugh about it was that <laughs> Carlos rough. Hyde was you know, getting interest from the Eagles. Uh, I actually think that's one of the few teams left that actually makes sense for Carlos Hyde. Uh, I think the Steelers would make some sense for him too, depending on how they feel about McFarland and the health of James Conner. But Gore signs Hyde doesn't yet. Chris, and you really care about this for fantasy one way or another. Gore to me just feels like, hey, I'm here to coach up and make Piran better, not really necessarily be the handcuff because I don't think he is the handcuff if Le'Veon Bell goes down. Yeah, I don't think he has much to offer, but in the back of my head, it is Adam Gase, and, and you know, he's, he's, he's really <laughs> hard to trust, and there were times last year, like, Lev Bell had a lot of, a lot of touches and a lot of usage, but we, all three of us have talked about how he wasn't really efficient, maybe because Sam Darnold missed some time and the offense really couldn't get rolling. But Luke Falk was under center at one point and Bell was just running into walls. I think he had like 20 carries for like 20 yards at, at one point in one of those games. But there was a game I watched last year where Bell was pretty productive in the second half and he helped them get up the field. And then all of a sudden when they're in the red zone, it was Blow Up Howell who came in for three red zone rushing attempts, and that was frustrating as a bell owner. So I, I could potentially see that with, with Gase having a relationship with Gore. I believe they were together in Miami for a short period of time. So it is frustrating, but 
yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think too much. It, it kind of does actually, I'll be honest. It kind of does make me a little sour on Lev Bell. Cause I know Gase doesn't like him. He's already, he's, <laughs> he's already said that. He doesn't want anything to do with him. He wouldn't he's have signed to him. get rid of him twice already. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, the, the Carlos Hyde, um, Carlos Hyde is interesting because I, you, you don't look at him as a guy who's going to go in and be a lead back anywhere, anywhere that's, that, that needs a running back right now. But I think it makes sense when you have a guy like Miles Sanders and they don't, they don't want to run Miles Sanders to 300, 350 touches. They don't, they don't want to do that. Let alone philosophy, just from a physical standpoint of what it would do to him. It makes sense. Like you, Boston Scott's not that guy. Is Corey Clement that guy? I know they brought him back, but they need somebody else on this roster just from a depth perspective. It makes a ton of sense. I, I don't like to me, I'm not worried about. Oh, this is, this really caps Miles Sanders ceiling. I'm not worried about him taking any, any meaningful carries from Miles Sanders. It just allows them to not have to run out Miles Sanders in situations where he shouldn't be out there. If they're up by a lot, if they're down by a lot, just to have other running back depth, I think makes a lot of sense. Yeah. See, I, and I agree it was for the depth, but I still think that even if, whether or not Hyde is there, Miles Sanders is still getting a little bit overrated in the fact that like people forget how good Boston Scott was down the stretch and that he's still there. This is still Doug Peterson. He still uses his pieces. He does a great job with it. Hey, that's what it is. But you know, like not everybody's going to go out there and give their lead back 70, 80% of the touches like the Steelers and Todd Gurley days. And just remember like Doug Peterson, any given week, I mean, you could see Miles Sanders get 12 carries. That's yeah. it. Can it I just, just say depends. that? Sorry to cut you off. Can I just say that if it does happen, I agree with Brad. I no. think it would be a good, <laughs> I no, think it would yeah. be a good football no. move for the Eagles. <laughs> but if it does happen, I think it's a buy low opportunity in dynasty leagues for Miles Sanders. The way that the fantasy community overreacts, overreacts with these things because the Hyde thing is not official. It was just a report and I'm seeing already a lot of people complaining about, oh, well, what's all this Miles Sanders talk over the last two weeks that he could be a borderline RB1. Just stop it. He still could be with Carlos Hyde in there. And another back who's still out there is Devonta Freeman. Like if Freeman went to Philly, that would be more concerning for me as a guy like Hyde, who is pretty much one dimensional at this point. He's not going to catch a lot of balls out of the backfield. Sanders had 50 grabs last year. Jake, you bring up Boston Scott, who is productive, can catch some balls. Like if Freeman went there, he's more of a three down back. That would be more concerning to me. Carlos Hyde going there. It shouldn't really have an effect on where you, rank Miles Sanders yeah I, I I can certainly understand and agree with that but I still it's the baking in that risk already of Miles Sanders and that's why I'm gonna have like mid-high like I think what 14 15 and that's yeah. not slighting Miles Sanders at all but that's what I mean we're talking about look at the RB1s this year uh this you're there's so many that they're there because you know they're getting the vast majority of touches and it's not even like we Brad you said it there's draft like depth the talent is now starting to really get there and but the problem is is so many teams roll out two three guys so yeah miles sanders don't hate him just you know doug peterson hates you he just hates your fantasy team that's what i said chris knows chris <laughs> yeah, knows he deals with it all the time again true. darren sproles before last year the only running back he ever had that touched the ball 60 percent of the time it only happened three times heading into last season just all remember the, that all the red zone rushing attempts darren sproles that's just so insane but we are – are wait, are we off again next week? We are off again next week. We are. We are. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, we are. So Antonio Gibson, pin on him for two weeks from now, <laughs> and then we could talk about whoever put in there the rankings, what I'm getting pushed back the most on. I could give you the easy one. The easy one's Clyde Edwards-Hilaire because I'm insane to put him inside <laughs> the top ten. But, okay, I'll take all the Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I think everybody on the show will take all the Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, right? Yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yep. Give it to me. Yeah. All right, Brian, we knew you. I still like Damian Williams, though. I still like Damian Williams. It's, I, look, I, I'll, I'll throw a 
tenth rounder on him if he's still there. Yeah, I in a best ball I took him again. That, that was that same best ball I took him in the sixth round. You, um, the you team own still... every player in existence. <laughs> well, this I mean this was this is easily the biggest money best ball I'm in. Um, oh, okay, he did a high roller one, and so it was it was thirty five rounds. Um, I've never it, there's a kickers and defenses in it. Like most of the best balls I do don't have that stuff. I guess defenses are in them, but but I've never done a thirty five round draft before um, outside of a dynasty league. And so I was about to it ask was you super how many deep. shares of Megatron you had, like just. <laughs> yeah so but i i went heavy running back i went dalvin cook jonathan taylor first two picks i i backed taylor up with marlon mack in the seventh round i took damian williams in the sixth because the only other players there were jk dobbins kareem hunt like guy guys who are our secondary pieces in their offenses james white um went right after that i damian williams has is listed by the chiefs or at least they say he's going to be the starter edwards hilaire is going to work in i think there's a really good chance that both these guys see a lot of time in the backfield and they're both going to be very very fantasy viable this year. So you can make a case yeah. for a lot of guys in best ball, but out of all the drafts you've done, is there anybody that you've absolutely just turned your head and said, no, thanks. Even in a best ball, I don't want any shares. Uh, Amari Cooper. Um, and the, the biggest reason is because his, his best ball weeks are really good, but there's only like three or four of them in a year. And, and I don't, yeah. I don't want to have to draft him in the top three or four rounds where he's going to only get a few weeks of, of production out of him. I want well, guys with a, like, a more stable floor at the top. And that's a great point. And since we'll close out on that, since Chris threw in a question, thanks, Chris. Uh, <laughs> with you. No, but and you, yeah, you can close out because you asked the question in your opinion. But I'm with Brad on that for the same reason because you'll get you'll and I think you'll agree with me, Chris. You'll get people who say, "Oh, Mari Cooper's even better in best ball because you don't have to worry about trying to figure out when his great games are." But I think that's the overlooked and what people forget and dismiss and should pay attention to is what Brad said. Yeah. Sure. In best ball, you don't have to try and figure out the weeks, but do you want to spend a third rounder on somebody who's not going to get in your lineup because of six, seven, eight terrible games, and he ends up on your bench? You spend a third rounder on somebody that ends up on your bench more often than not because of those bad games. Yeah, I 100% agree. Like, you're shooting for upside, but when you're picking somebody that early, you want at least a little bit of a floor there, somebody who's going to be a target machine, and you just can't trust them. Right, that's what you yeah, want, I like could... a ninth rounder. You take Rashard Perriman around there, and then you're like, okay, I'll get his four for five good weeks. You don't Perriman, take somebody in the third he, round. He may have more better games than Mari Cooper. More be better? More better, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll just end right there. We'll just end right there. We'll see you in a couple well, weeks. It actually made sense. <laughs> no, I know. And three three picks after Amari Cooper went, I took DJ Moore as my wide receiver one, way more stable floor. Two rounds later, I took DJ Shark, way more stable floor. Like, I, I, they're not going to give you the three touchdown weeks most likely, but they're going to give you 80 yards every single week instead of the, the weeks where you have 20, uh, three catches, 20 yards, and oh. just vanish for oh, – Hold on. That just reminded me. You, you guys didn't remind me. I, we have to end on this because I wanted to bring up the Will Fuller Will thing. Fuller. <laughs> Yeah, real quick, because now that we're talking about this insanity of these bonanza weeks and Will Fuller had two games that put up 50% of his season in two games. Chris, <laughs> I I took T.Y. Hilton, as you saw, in the sixth round, and people were like, ooh, T.Y. Hilton. And, like, and then all of a sudden, like I think it was the seventh round, like Will Fuller went and other guys like that, and, I, and then people were like, yeah, I'd much rather go for that upside. And I was like... Are you effing kidding me? Like, <laughs> I know T.Y. Hilton got hurt, but people are like, well, you know, you'll, you'll enjoy T.Y. Hilton for Philip Rivers for the three games you get him. I was like, coming from the Will Fuller side of, th- are you, like, seriously? Is this what we're doing? Like, 
Am I bananas to think that like T.Y. Hilton in the sixth was an amazing pick? Actually, no. You're, yeah, when you, yeah, you're not. No, I was saying that it is an amazing pick, but the, the Fuller stuff is ridiculous because it, he's going him and Brandon Cooks both like they're they're both going right in the that same was the area. Other one. When you you can get John Brown around later, and he's the the same type player, but he'll be on the field every game, and and so why not take the guy that's going to be out there? I don't know. I, you can even get Jamison Crowder later, who is going to be a target monster this year for the Jets. That those upside guys to me is just it's just crazy um, that that people people will do that and just trust like oh, but if this is the year that he's healthy all year, then I'm getting Mets. a steal in the eighth Go round. Mets. Well, you know what? Like <laughs> it, at this point, it's it's one thing if he was hurt one year, but he's been hurt four, and it's not you know it's just not something I'm buying into at all. I would much rather have T.Y. Hilton. It's another player we can rewind the tape. There's a lot of wide receivers in that sixth round that I like and Fuller is one that stands out that I just don't like like Landry in there Tyler Boyd uh Debo T.Y. McLaurin like there's a nice chunk of wide receivers there and Fuller just stands out as that one it's like ah yikes you ruined the and run. Brandon Cooks like you said run. that was the other one too yeah and even before like, that there's some nice we've talked about so many times I'm sure we will leading up to the NFL season but there's some nice value at wide receiver especially and it starts I feel like in round five and six you know with Robert Woods DJ Chark DK Metcalf, like there's a there's some solid stud wide receivers. Okay, well, all that. Let's end the show for a third time now. Uh, Chris, you're at Chris Meany. Brad is at Brad Ziegler. I'm at All in Kid. As you can tell, Brad's been dying to talk football. So tweet at him. Like he'll, hey, yeah, you take take all those ones where Chris keeps telling you to tweet me and send them to Brad instead. He'll <laughs> yeah, get, engage you more. And free ninety days. Right, right, Chris? That's right. Theathletic.com slash free. Yeah. Finally, only like the 7,000th attempt. <laughs> and we'll be back in two weeks. So enjoy it. Let us know if you have any questions. We'll probably do some like mailbag stuff if you want to send them to the next show. So let us know. And have a good one. Stay healthy. Stay safe. Yay. <laughs>